Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League, on the number one daily sports podcast network alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. You can find this show in all of your favorite podcast apps. Tell a friend about this show. Let them know that their team is covered right here on the network. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can follow Matt at Williamson in FL. Matt, we've got a lot of news uh, that came down for today's program. Uh, death of a Hall of Famer, sadly, at the age of 58. The Texans have formally named Bill O'Brien their general manager. I think we have thoughts on that. Jay Glazer walking his Philip Rivers comments back. We've got a retirement from a longtime assistant coach that might be a really big deal for the New England Patriots. And I've got some, some draft talk. Uh, we've got some prop bets. We've got some prospect talk here. So a lot to get into on today's program. How was your Wednesday so far? Fantastic. How about you? Not bad. Not bad. Had a little breakfast, hung out with little Leo, put him down for a nap so we could get this podcasting done. So uh, I'm excited to get into this, getting pretty pumped for Super Bowl 54 and um, kind of tired of all the talk about it. I'm ready for a game. Yeah, I'm sure you are. And I I am too. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I still haven't made my pick. I think it's going to be highly competitive. I'm digging into it more and more by the day and excited to break it down with you later in the week. But I still don't know who I'm going to pick, so I'm kind of glad I'm treading water a little bit. And you guys need to check in on Friday for that episode. We'll make our picks. We'll get deeper into Super Bowl 54. And, uh, man, the the matchup I love, so I'm super excited for it. Indestructible force against the immovable object with that Patrick Mahomes Chiefs offense against the 49ers defense. And the Niners defense is... Uh, I mean, the Niners offense is pretty good in its own right, and the Chiefs defense has come a long way as well. So that side of the ball is also intriguing. It's going to be a really fun matchup and I think a great Super Bowl. Yeah, and the coaches are phenomenal. A great battle there. Both those amazing offensive minds with two weeks to prepare. We know Andy Reid's track record in that regard. But I keep thinking about Shanahan with, you know, somewhat predictable defenses. I think schematically really, really favors both offenses. But I agree with you. Like you said, the the Niners defense is going to put up more resistance and certainly has better players than the Chiefs offense. And I think I mentioned this to you, but remember last week when I was talking about doing the top 10 defensive players in this game? Yes. Well, I took the top 10 and then I did a 13, end up being 13 names with three honorable mentions. And the only Chiefs that made it were Clark, Jones, and Matthews. So, 10 of the 13 best defensive players were Niners. So you only play 11 guys. Right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> and and the 11th guy, I'm guessing, is probably Emmanuel Mosley, who's going to be starting at right yeah. cornerback. And he's been phenomenal as well. And he's basically stolen the starting job away from Akello Witherspoon, who is a, a, a pretty good prospect and, and had some highs in his career over the last couple of years and has played pretty well. And that job just got wrestled away from him. So that's not... An area that's an area that I think the Chiefs might attack, but it's not an area that I think the 49ers are worried about because of how good Emmanuel Mosley's played, and he's not, and he's the worst guy on the starting unit. Yeah, uh, but I'm sure that Andy Reid is going to target him relentlessly. Yep, I bet he will. We'll get more into that Friday. We'll get to some prop bets today on the Super Bowl. I want to get into uh, the sad news of the death of former Vikings and 49ers Hall of Fame defensive lineman Chris Dolman died yesterday at the age of 58 years old after battling brain cancer for the past two years. Yeah, it's really sad. He was a phenomenal player. 
I was born in 1973, and he was drafted out of Pitt in 85. So I remember him as a kid um, in his Pitt days. He was the fourth pick in the draft in 1985. And I also remember the three years I put in at Pitt as a recruiting assistant, some of the, you know, the trainers and equipment people or alumni or boosters, I would pick their brains as much as possible about the the early 80s, you know, years of Pitt football. And Dolman's name came up over and over and over. And uh, I'm going to take the second just to pump my hometown team here, but I mean, that I used to work for, but from those five years from 81 to 85, they had high picks like Hugh Green, Mark May, Ricky Jackson, Jimbo Covert, Tim Lewis, guy named Dan Marino, Bill Moss, Jim Sweeney, and they're almost all linemen. There are a lot of them are homegrown, tough guys, Steelers of the 70s products. You know, dad was a steel mill worker, um, hardcore lineman of that era. And Dolman personified that too, and a great athlete, and he'll be missed. Going back over his statistics, and he's a Hall of Famer. I knew he's great. I remember seeing him as I was younger watching the 49ers play in the late 90s and knew about how good he was over the course of his career. But he finished his Hall of Fame career with 150 and a half sacks, which currently ranks number five on the all-time list. But he only had three and a half sacks over the course of his first two seasons. 21 sacks in 1989, which is an absurd number. And then I think the most... The, the number that really blows me away here is at the age of 37 with the 49ers, in 1998, he had 15 sacks. Wow, I didn't realize that. Um, it's interesting, though, because I think more and more, I, I often talk about tight end being a position that it takes a while till you get your feet under you, and, and the stats show usually around your age 27 season is when you start to peak as a tight end. And then you see the great ones like Gonzalez and Witten and Gates and all these guys last a very long time. But pass rusher is not that dissimilar in that there's a lot more technique involved. And if you talk to coaches around the league, they'll tell you it usually takes pass rushers two or three years to get their feet under them and understand how to set up their opponents. And some of these really talented guys that have every trick in the book like Dolman did and and match it with the talent – kind of ends up having a Jason Witten, Gonzalez, Gates-like twilight years. Yeah, and that's why some prospects that are you know, twitchy athletes and, and so explosive off the edge and can win with speed with ease on the college level, they don't translate to the NFL because they never develop that, and they don't have, have power in their game, and they don't develop the technique, and it's a nuanced position, and Chris Dolman is the prototype. I mean, 6'5", what, 285 pounds, Long, super long arms. He had power, but also flexibility, relentlessness, and technique, and all that comes together. He's exactly how you draw up a defensive end. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think, you know, some of these guys like your boy Bosa and his brother, how well they came in the league and made impacts, if their best days are still ahead of them. I mean, they're ahead of the curve technically, but how about a Miles Garrett who's still learning the finer Mm -hmm. points and still making huge impacts? You know, so some of these young Defensive ends, edge rushers, their best days might be ahead of them. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's going to be fun to watch. And actually, last year's class, Bosa gets all the headlines because he was the number two pick and he was so refined coming in. So maybe he doesn't get a lot better because he's already so good and he's got mm-hmm. that technique down already. And he's already a very powerful guy. But 
Josh, Josh Allen, Allen and yeah. Brian Burns is a favorite of mine. Those guys are just pups and super athletic and they have that length. And I think they're the type of players that you see will get a lot better. And their ceiling is is probably down the road a couple of years. Yeah. And kind of like you mentioned before, some of them don't turn that corner. And like a Vic Beasley comes to mind. Yeah. He got a lot of snaps in college and early in his career guessing the snap count, jumping, you know, third and eight whenever you know it's passing downs, running around people and not having a a real variety or enough sand in his pants, enough power to really go through offensive linemen. These linemen are so smart. They know that the people coming against them are better athletes than them. But if they know they only have one move, they just set heavy for the speed rush and just let you run right into you or push you upfield. So sad news, Chris Dolman, he's gone at the age of 58 years old, a true Hall of Famer, just a fantastic player, and everything I've heard about him off the field was top-notch as well. We're going to get into the Texans coach and general manager, and maybe Phillip Rivers is not officially gone from the Chargers quite yet next. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, BlueChew.com. That's like blue, the color blue, and chew because you can chew it. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. That makes a lot more sense to me. For instance, most guys talk a good game, but if you're one and done, Blue Chew can even help your follow-through for round two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made right in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code Locked On. To try it free, BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Are you the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call it? Well, this is your last chance during the NFL season to bet with my bookie. They feature the most complete lineup of Super Bowl props of any sports book in the business. And you can even visit mybookie.ag party now to access a printable prop sheet for the big game. Between football season, NBA, and the start of college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with my bookie. If you like to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. Tired of watching the games from the couch with nothing to gain, my bookie wants to get your mind off everything else and back on the game. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use promo code Locked On to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code Locked On. One word, Locked On, to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. So Jay Glazer, who had the report and 
Look, Philip Rivers already moving to Florida, so this is on the minds of people, and it wouldn't shock anybody at his stage of his career that he would not come back to the Chargers because maybe the Chargers don't want him back or because he wants to try something else at the very end of his career. But Tuesday, Jay Glazer, who had this report, was on with Colin Cowherd, and he walked back those previous comments about Philip Rivers, and he said that he believes Rivers will not be back with the Chargers, but he did not mean to officially, quote-unquote, report such a thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> I always wonder how the Glazers and Schefters and all these people that break all this news how they handle things because things can change. I mean, you might report something or I'm hearing this. And then the next day you get a call from that agent or river saying, Hey, you know, that's not what I meant. Or, you know, I mean, it's just a lot of opportunity for miscommunication or misunderstanding. And I'm glad I don't have that role. I would hate to be a reporter <laughs> reporter. Yeah. You have to be fast <laughs> with it, but you have to be right. Cause there goes your credibility right. if you're wrong. And so Glazer wanted to make sure that he, that wasn't an official report, even though he put that out there. And anytime Schefter or Glazer, these guys that are insiders say something, you take it as gospel because they're so good at it and they're so right so often. Their sources are great and it's family members, it's agents, it's it's. I think it's a lot of agents and a lot of league stuff. Rappaport is obviously a guy that gets his information from the league and I think they send him a fax before they actually fax in the paperwork so he can report it before things go official with some transactions. But yeah, it is interesting. If you say something off the cuff a little bit and have an opinion, you have to preface that because people will just run with it and it's a done deal when these insiders say something. Right, right. It's an odd line of work for me. I mean, um, but they are are obviously dialed in. Most of that information comes from agents, but who's to say? Uh, back to Rivers. We have talked about this quite a bit. My opinion hasn't changed. I think he's pretty darn close to done, but I also think he's had a lot of years behind a bad O-line, and I bet he's not super excited to return to the Chargers, who aren't considered one of the model franchises out there anyway. Um, and I, you got to think where the Chargers are picking the draft, and we hit this heavy yesterday. They're going to be in that Herbert, Tua, whoever quarterback sweepstakes, I would think. So I, I think it's probably best for both to part ways. I still have a hard time saying, boy, this would be a great team for Rivers, though, Team X. It's tough, and actually, let's let's take one of our Twitter Thursday questions. And by the way, tune in tomorrow for our Twitter Thursday episode. Mike has a question uh, about this subject. So let's put this in here while we're talking about Rivers. He says, do you think it's possible the Dolphins sign Rivers and draft Tua? Hmm. I mean, I think Fitzpatrick will be back, though, and yeah, can handle that role. In that role, is would that be an upgrade, Rivers to Fitzpatrick, when you already have Fitzpatrick in-house who would know the offense, who would be able to uh, help a younger player in that role of mentor? Would Rever? I mean, I, I just I don't. So see I don't that think that's worth it to me. Yeah, you know, same. I mean, I thought Fitzpat. I mean, Rivers is probably a better player than Fitzpatrick, but I think Fitzpatrick in a vacuum, if you just isolate the quarterback tape, had a better year of the two with less around him. You talk about bad O lines and just the flow. I'm not saying Rivers is a bad guy at all, but just the flow of that team and how they exceeded expectations down the stretch and clearly are building something from the ground up. I think I'd keep the the bearded dude around for and keep that rolling. I'm with you on that. Yeah, that one doesn't make a lot of sense for me. I think Tampa Bay probably makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, I mean, I think Arians would like the Rivers gunslinger, but he doesn't throw the ball like he used to, and he doesn't have a power arm anymore. He struggles sometimes in that regard. I mean, if you were to bring in Rivers to Tampa – 
I assume that means you definitely cut ties with Jameis unless you just want them to be together for a year and act as Jameis's big brother. And if you move on from Jameis, then you're also still right back in the young quarterback market more than ever. Right. And you, that would definitely accompany a young quarterback coming in. And if, I mean, if you're Rivers, you're not signing with the team to be a backup. No, I don't think so. No matter what. I mean, would he help the Bears? Sure. I mean, could he be a placeholder in Carolina if Newton's moved? Okay. I mean, what if he they trade Andy Dalton and they want Rivers to sit there with Burrow for a year? I mean, I'm stretching. I mean, there's not a lot of landing spots that I think make a lot of sense. I totally agree. I saw somebody tweeting out something recently. How about, about Indianapolis? I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, that's there, okay. I've never heard the Colts a fair amount. Yeah, the Colts? That's not a bad one. That's not they have a, bad a line. One. And I think that's a situation where you could compete. And there's a chance that mm-hmm. even if Rivers loses the starting job, that means you got better at quarterback still. So that's not a terrible one. I actually like the Colts right. now that I think about it. And that's not one I had thought about yet. And you could kick the can down the road in drafting one, you know? Yes. Or you could still draft one or a second round pick or something like that. But they do have a lot of seconds. I still like Brissett, but they probably would be better with Rivers at this stage. That is an interesting one. A marinade on that one. I think that's a good one. And, and, and we'll continue to get deeper into this topic as this is a massive both draft and free agent class of quarterbacks. So some movement. Once a domino falls, this could get really nutty in the NFL. Uh, and so it's it's definitely going to be a fun topic this offseason, which we will continue to get into. But I want to move on to the Texans. We had a mailbag question about how to fix the Texans. And you and I both are not at all shocked. And I don't want to speak for you, Matt, but the Texans have formally named Bill O'Brien, their general manager. So uh, he was already acting pretty much as that, but that's official. And he was promoted there. Head coach, GM. I believe this was a bad move from the start, but he won the power struggle. So this is not a surprise, but it's also not the way I would have gone with this thing. And basically to me, the Texans have hit their ceiling. They've topped out with Bill O'Brien. We know what the Texans are. They're not going to be better than what we have seen the last couple of years. In my opinion, how do you feel, Matt? I mostly agree, you know, to his credit, I think he's taken average to below average teams to the playoffs to nine and seven year after year with quarterbacks pre Watson. But I also think that there are coaches that can get you to mediocrity or slightly above. Maybe a Marvin Lewis comes to mind that just can't get over the hump and get to this time of the year. And I tend to lean that way, except that I just am such a Watson believer. You know, Watson might pull the train of the whole organization. I think he's capable of doing that. But, I mean, unless you're Belichick, and this is really making him Belichick and king of the world in Houston, you better be pretty proven to get this kind of power decision-making, and it's a tough job, (laughs) you know, do both. Those are two full-time jobs that guys don't get sleep doing just one of them. So doing both at a high level is really difficult. That's one of the reasons I don't like it. Uh, He does have some help there in the front office. Uh, The team also promoted Executive Vice President of Team Development, Jack Easterby, to Executive VP of Football Operations. Uh, I don't really know much about Jack Easterby. He was a Patriots team chaplain. That was his claim to fame, and so he's... Uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to help me on the scouting trail. Yeah, that so that's, um, <laughs> that's very interesting. Maybe he'll help with personality evaluations with, 
with players and, and help with some some development stuff. But yeah, that's interesting. So the, those are two guys that both aren't, you know, from the scouting trade. Mm-hmm. And they're the two top guys in your scouting department and your personnel department. So very interesting. I don't know if that's the proper way to go for the Texans. And they don't have a ton of resources because of what O'Brien's already done as a GM. And, and you know, and I think it's pretty obvious that the offensive tackle position is something that he argued that the ex-GM did not go get for him. So he had to axe yeah, the GM and go get his own. Pick and, and yeah, a bunch of others for Tunsil, yeah. Use a bunch of picks for Tunsil. I think he overpaid for Duke. Johnson, who's an okay running back, but I don't think, I think, you know, spending a third round draft pick on a veteran that you have to pay, you know, very win now move. I think you can find players in the draft and spend that draft capital in in much better ways and get better, younger, cheaper players than Duke Johnson for a third round draft pick. And uh, so uh, very reactionary GM, very win now moves, and they didn't win now. I mean, they got in the playoffs, so it's not a terrible team, not a terrible season, but I just don't see that uh, getting over the hill for the Texans under Bill O'Brien. Yeah, I, I, again, I mostly agree, but I do put a lot of stock in Watson's ability to put the whole team on his shoulders. But I kind of would prefer, you know, if I had Watson stock that he had a new head coach coming in and a new GM and a more traditional power structure. Totally agree there. Uh, let's move on to the Patriots. Longtime offensive line coach Dante Scarnecchia, who gets a ton of credit for what goes on there in New England, has retired, and we've got some unnamed NFL scout sources, some comments about the draft, which is my favorite time of year, and we're going to have a lot of unnamed scouts being quoted. So the, the, the latest quote from an unnamed scout coming up. I don't know how much to look into this. I mean, obviously, it all is Belichick and Brady at the top with the New England Patriots, but every single person that's around the Patriots has raved and given so much credit to their longtime offensive line coach, Dante Scarnecchia, who has retired actually for the second time. They coaxed him out of retirement once already. He's been with the Patriots as an assistant since 1991. He retired in 2013, came back in 2016 at the age of 70. He's going to turn 72 in February. Uh, just a legendary career for Dante Scarnecchia, who is now out again as uh, offensive line coach for the Patriots, an important part of their run. Yeah, and I think he's kind of the definition of if the Hall of Fame had a wing for assistant coaches, he'd be a first ballot type of dude. Um, And it's a hard, a lot of that's just reputation. And obviously they've won a ton of games. I mean, if he'd have been the Browns offensive line coach this stretch, would they be a a ton better? (laughs) My hunch is probably, but he would also wouldn't be as well known and as revered. But I got to defer to the reputation. And you often see that line during Skarnecchia's run as, if they're three C's and two B level players, but the unit plays like an A, you know, I mean, the, yep. the sum of the parts is greater than, or the, I always say that wrong. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And to me, that lends itself to fantastic coaching. Brady has something to do with that too, of knowing when to get the ball out and where the rich blitzes are coming from and all that. And I know they've used some high picks on linemen, but he's also turned some a lot of mid-round, undrafted, late-round picks into high-quality players. They certainly haven't ignored the line in the draft, and they've spent a little money there, but they've continued to develop new players, bring in more talent, young guys to replenish players that leave via free agency. And it's just the model the Patriots have gone with, and, and they've done a fantastic job on both lines, and they've always been good on both lines despite losing 
some uh, big money talent. So I think a lot of that has to go to your O-line coach in Dante Scarnecchia. a fantastic career. Yeah, I mean, you let the Soldiers and the Browns and a lot of these guys go that are going to make huge money elsewhere. Uh, it says a lot about them. And just one Patriot O-line note, I don't know that everyone out there realizes how much their center position after injuries hurt them this year. I mean, that might be one of their biggest offseason needs that people don't think about, that you need to really solidify the middle of that line. A guy you talked about, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU, maybe. Mm, Late yeah. first-round pick, potentially, looking at the draft. Um, I really enjoy Go back and Late listen first, to yeah. Matt's Senior Bowl solo show on Monday, and I think we will have fun getting more into the draft as the offseason goes along. I want to talk draft really quickly. This is a report from ESPN. An unnamed NFL scout told ESPN at last week's Senior Bowl that LSU quarterback Joe Burrow was the only franchise quarterback in this year's draft class. Yeah, that's a tough call. I mean, I think Burrow is a phenomenal prospect. And I think, as you've said before, as we get down this wormhole, we're going to hear more warts about the guy. Like, he, as we said before, he doesn't get to play Bama and I, I mean, he's stud teams anymore. But I do think he's absolutely a franchise quarterback prospect. But didn't everyone think the same thing a year ago about Tua? And I know he hasn't played his best in big games. Um, is there a more talented guy than Herbert? I mean, Herbert, to me, has some Josh Allen-like qualities in, in terms of just physical skill set. Uh, Love, I think, is very, very talented, too. And I, I could see someone like Fromm not getting the franchise quarterback designation. But I think when it's all said and done, like I talked about Monday, three of these guys are going to get picked in the top 10 and four might go earlier than you think. So to me, that tells me the league thinks there's four franchise quarterbacks in this draft. Yeah. I feel like it's a little hot takey and yeah. I don't argue with the Joe Burrow point that he is a franchise caliber quarterback and likely the number one pick in the draft. But if you look at past drafts, Watson, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, those guys weren't, thought of as slam dunk uh, this. I mean, maybe Watson no. had a really good reputation coming in, but the other guys a little bit surprising later in the draft. None of those guys were the first quarterback taken in their draft. So it's a, it's he a hot take hot for sure. Yeah. for right. I hear you. And if it's an unnamed source, it's not like he's boosting his Twitter following or anything by saying it, and but he, it's probably not somebody high up in a, in the scouting ranks, mm -hmm. a named NFL scout that could be anybody at any pay wage, right on an NFL uh, front office staff. Yeah, and everyone's you know accustomed or entitled to their opinions, and we might all define the words franchise quarterback differently. Maybe there's only ten of them walking the planet right now, and if you get one per draft class, that's good. You know, I mean, everyone thought Ryan Leaf was a franchise quarterback. Right. What's a franchise quarterback? Is there only five of them? Only the elite guys in the NFL, or is there you know twenty-seven franchise quarterbacks, mm -hmm. or is there twelve? Where is your Limit. What tier do you need a franchise quarterback to be in? By the way, Matt, how often were you an unnamed source for uh, maybe Todd McShay or somebody else around the league? I would say zero. Oh, really? I, I mean, nah, probably more than zero. I, I want to say, like, I was actually probably more of an unnamed source watching pit practices and the reporters and those guys would kind of hobnob and you get to know them after three years. And now I kind of work with some of them in the Pit, Pit, Pittsburgh media where they might be like, who's this young corner? What do you think of him? And then you know, I'd tell them and they wouldn't quote me, that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. So you weren't, you weren't McShay's go-to back in the day? 
I didn't know Todd until after I got hired at ESPN. Okay, so. okay. Right. I thought he got you in because, like, hey, I've got this great unnamed scout. Uh, we should bring him into ESPN. <laughs> He's got some good nuggets for us. <laughs> okay, that's a good place to end this one, Matt. We've got Twitter Thursday tomorrow. We're going to hit some Super Bowl prop bets and have our predictions Friday right here, Locked On NFL.